If you've got your Bible with you, you can turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Still walking through the book of Galatians. And while you're turning there, I'll say next week, next Sunday is Mother's Day. And so we're going to be dedicating eight babies next week in second service during on Mother's Day. So if you want a short sermon, you shouldn't have come this week. You need to come next week because it'll be a short sermon that week. Also, being it's Mother's Day, we're going to have the baby bottles that we did last year to help Kansas for Life and Embrace Crisis Pregnancy Center in Wichita. They're actually opening another one in Derby, hopefully pretty soon. Um, and so that, that fundraiser for them is you take a baby bottle home, fill it full of change, and bring it back on Father's Day, and that money goes to their efforts to help um, uh, struggling mothers and with the issue of abortion that we uh, uh, vehemently stand against. If you're in your Bible, Galatians chapter 3, but hope, I hope by now, after we've walked through several chapters of the book of Galatians, that you know the context, you know the setting, you know the purpose of the letter. But I'm going to tell you anyway. I try to mention it every Sunday just so we kind of keep the, each section of Galatians in context. Uh, false teachers, known as Judaizers, had come into the churches of Galatia and they were teaching that faith in Jesus is not enough for Gentiles to be right with God. So they taught that any non-Jewish person had to trust in Jesus and be circumcised according to the law of Moses in order to enter covenant with God. And the Galatians were believing this. This was infecting the church so much so that even Peter began acting as if the Gentile Christians in Antioch were unclean and he stopped fellowshipping with them. At the end of chapter 2 last week, we saw Paul confronted Peter for what he says is not walking in step with the truth of the gospel. And Paul called Peter back to walking in the gospel. Now, as we begin in chapter 3, Paul's going to turn his attention back to the Galatians, and he's going to, in the same way, call them back to walking in the gospel. So what I want to do is I want to read all 14 verses that we're going to look at today, and then we'll go back and take them section by section. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide in all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. 
But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it was written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, and this is the point of this section, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. And we come before you today opening our hearts, opening your word, God, and we pray that you would speak to us. God, I ask that you would give us clarity today. Let us hear what you would have our hearts to know today. And I pray that you would do a work amongst us. And we thank you for that. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul is calling the Galatians back to the gospel, just like Peter. And he does this by first reminding them of how they received the Holy Spirit. And it is also a reminder to us that it's through faith alone that we've received God's Spirit. He says this in, in, these, in these questions in verses 1 through 5. The Galatians were being tempted to think that faith in Christ alone was not enough for them to be right with God. So Paul begins this section in his typical compassionate manner by saying, Oh, you stupid Galatians. Paul begins with this... This insult, I don't know how else you can say it. Foolish is a nice translation of this word. J.B. Phillips said it, it could be translated, you idiot Galatians, how could you be so idiotic? So they're acting so foolish, in fact, that Paul wonders if they're under a spell. He says, who bewitched you? He says in verse 1, how can you be so foolish to believe that you must add anything to the gospel when it was before your very eyes that Jesus was portrayed as crucified. Paul had preached the gospel to the Galatians in, in the book of Acts. We saw that as we walked through it. And through his preaching, he showed them the cross. He showed them the crucified Son of God, the full and perfect payment for their sin, the finished work that brought salvation. They heard the gospel. They believed the gospel. And with the eye of faith, as it were, they saw Jesus crucified. And when they trusted in Jesus, they received the Holy Spirit, as all believers do. And God came to dwell within them by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So Paul scolds them with several rhetorical questions to show how just how foolish it is that they think that after all of that, after Jesus crucified and, and accepted by faith and the Holy Spirit coming upon them, now, for some reason, they have to add their own works to Jesus' work to be right with God. In verse 2, he asked them, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Or by believing is what he means. And the answer to all of these questions is obvious. It's by faith. It's by hearing with faith. The Galatians heard the gospel. They believed the gospel. God poured out his spirit upon them in salvation. The evidence of God's power and his presence among them was unmistakable. The gift of the spirit of God is the certain evidence, the greatest proof of salvation. It's the guarantee of the life to come. In Romans 8 9, Paul says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to God. So salvation, as we've seen many times, isn't just a change of status. It's a transformation of your heart and of your life as the Spirit of God takes up residence in you. 
So Paul asks them, when you received the Spirit, what did you contribute? Were you circumcised when God saved you and sent His Spirit into you? Well, no, they're Gentiles. Did you obey a certain law or, or do some great work that brought all of this about? No. Were you just such a good and holy person that God was just obligated to send His Spirit to you? No, you weren't. Well, then how did you receive the Spirit? Oh, I remember by hearing with faith. In order to have a relationship with God, you must be perfect. You must be righteous, without spot, without blemish. God will not dwell among sin. So there can be no sin on your account whatsoever if God, the holy God, takes up residence in you. And so in verse 3, Paul says, Are you so foolish that you think the perfect, holy, righteous God came to dwell in you and with you, having nailed your sin to the cross, and now, after that has already taken place, you yourself have to reconcile or make yourself perfect before God in your own fleshly efforts? Are you really that foolish, he says in verse 3? And in verse 4, he says, listen, you suffered persecution for this gospel. You suffered persecution for trusting that Jesus alone saves. And now you want to turn away from that truth? Well, you can hear the exasperation in Paul's words. And if not his, you can certainly hear them in mine. In verse 5, he says, you've seen God work among you. You've seen the Spirit among you. He's working among you. You've seen the miracles among you. What is causing God to move in your midst? Is it because you're trusting in Jesus or is God moving because you're just so obedient and your works are so righteous? God is rewarding you with miracles and with his presence. Listen, Paul is asking them basically in all these rhetorical questions, by what principle is God's presence with you? Is it your own working, your own efforts? Or is it your faith in Jesus? And the answer is obvious. Now, we've already seen how as Christians, even today, we still fall into thinking that our own works are earning us favor before God. We've walked through several examples in the last two sermons about how we still fall into this pattern in times of hardship or suffering when we feel like God has forgotten us or turned his back on us. And we feel like we have to jump through certain hoops in order to reconcile this relationship between us and God. We feel like sometimes we're just missing something that we don't have in Christ, don't have in the gospel, haven't been given. Now listen, when you go through trial and tragedy and suffering, it's okay to grieve. I mean, we have to grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Sometimes we think that what we have in Christ is just not enough to satisfy our souls. We have to chase after this thing or the other thing. We have to find, in religious circles, we have to find the right program or the right principles or the right teachings that, that will supply what we're missing. And it goes for the other side as well. Sometimes when we're, just, when we're faithfully obeying God and living out as best we know how the, the call of God, the commission of God, and keeping the commandments of God, sometimes we feel like, well, hey, I've earned something good today. 
Something that wasn't supplied to me in the gospel I've earned by my good works. In so many different ways, we fall into thinking that we must make ourselves right with God by doing something or discovering some secret that's been lost or some, some thing that we're missing, some principle, some teaching, some things that, that some great Bible scholar knows that, that we just can't figure out. We need to remember Paul's questions to the Galatians here. We need to remember them when someone tries to tell us that, oh, you're just missing the deeper things of God by holding on to the gospel. Or when you find yourself in despair or hopelessness, doubting and struggling, angry, disappointed, or just fearful that God has rejected you. We need to hear Paul's questions. What do you think you need that was not provided to you in Jesus? I'll wait. What do you think that you're going to add to what he's done for you? Were you earning favor before God as a reward for your obedience when you were saved? Or when God was working among you or when you felt like you were closer to God? Were you doing that by your own works, by your own abilities, by your own stuff? Tell me what Jesus has left undone that now, by your efforts, you have to finish. <clears throat> we need to continually ask ourselves that question. What exactly am I trusting in? The cross and the resurrection is either a perfect payment for all sin or it is not. You can't have it both ways. You either trust in Jesus alone or you trust in your own effort to make yourself right before God. You couldn't bring salvation and the Spirit to pass by your own works, and you can't keep your salvation by them either. Now, there's no shortage of teachings, some that even quote the Bible, to show you, oh, but you're missing this secret. You're missing this teaching. You're missing this principle. If you'll just walk in this, it'll, it'll, it'll alleviate all this that you're feeling. There's no, there's no shortage of that. And to be honest, if I was a Judaizer, if I was one of these people that were telling the Galatians, oh, faith in Jesus is good, but you also need to be circumcised, I think that I would point to Genesis 17 and I would read that to them to prove that you need to be circumcised to be saved. I'm going to read it to you now. Genesis 17, verse 9 through 14 says this. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout the generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh, in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, look at this, whether born in your house, or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. If I was a Judaizer, I would read that to the Galatians and I would say, look right here, we're just teaching God's word. I mean, that's God's word. That's what it says. You're denying God's word, Paul. You're denying what God said. If you preach salvation by faith alone, you're forcing the Gentile believers to be cut off from the covenant of God. That'd be a pretty convincing argument, wouldn't it? So Paul takes up that argument in the next section. 
And he shows us that it's through faith that we became God's covenant people. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing God would look at it right here. This is important. Justify the Gentiles by faith. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, here's this conclusion. Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, of course, Paul wouldn't deny that God gave circumcision as the sign of the covenant in Genesis 17. We just read it. But he responds to this by going back to when God actually gave the covenant to Abraham in Genesis 15, which he quotes in verse 6. He believed God and it was counted to him as a righteous In Genesis 15, God told Abraham that he would have a son in his old age and that he would have descendants as numerous as the the stars. And in Genesis 15, 6, it says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him. It was counted to him as righteousness. Paul is showing by quoting this verse that Abraham himself was justified by faith before the covenant was even given. The covenant was given later in Genesis 15. And it was years before circumcision was given in Genesis 17. So in in Galatians 3, 6 here, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, Paul says, just as in the same way that Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, He gives a command in verse 7. Just as it was counted to him as righteousness because he believed, verse 7, know then, it's a command, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. It's by faith that you're counted as a son of Abraham, a covenant person in God's covenant with him, heir to the promise. And to prove this, Paul goes back even further and quotes Genesis 12, 3 in verse 8. He says, the scripture foresaw, look at it, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And Paul says, the scripture preached the gospel, the good news, to Abraham before the covenant was even made. And this is the good news, that in you all nations will be blessed. And what is this blessing that all nations will receive? It's justification by faith. It's being declared righteous by faith. Do you see it in the verse? Scripture said, in Abraham, all nations will be blessed because Scripture foresaw God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Am I making sense? Somebody nod, please. Okay. So even when the covenant was given, even when the promise was given to Abraham, even back then, Paul says, it wasn't just for the Jewish nation or Abraham's physical descendants. It was for all nations, for everyone Paul says, even in Abraham's day, God was showing the world his gospel and that salvation by great, is by grace alone through faith alone. And verse 9, he sums up this whole argument saying, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Those who are of faith, meaning they they have received the blessing of Abraham by faith, who was a man of faith. Salvation by grace through faith. That's the point of the whole Bible. That's the story. 
both Old and New Testament. Right now we're going through Exodus on Wednesday nights. We've gone through Genesis and Job and Habakkuk and a bunch of other books. And at every point, we're looking toward the gospel, showing how this portrays the gospel, how it, how it foreshadows the gospel, what God is saying about the gospel through these books. God's redemption of fallen man is the point of the story from beginning to end. If you have entered if you have entered this covenant, if you've entrusted your life to Christ and been born again Christian, regardless of your nationality or your background or your ability to comp accomplish tasks, by faith in Christ, you are a child of Abraham. You're an heir to the blessing of Abraham. Sons and daughters of Abraham. Abraham's story is the story of your family, the story of your ancestry. All of those promises... They're yours in Christ. And if you've received, been received, I should say, in, in, into the covenant of God, God's covenant family, heirs to the promise of Abraham, fulfilled in Christ, all the promises are yours. What's missing in God's promises that you think you need to add now? What's missing that you think you can only add by works of the law? But Paul's not done yet. Next, he shows us that even if you did find something lacking that you have to add, you couldn't provide it anyway. Unless you keep God's law perfectly, you're under God's curse. And it's only through faith alone we have been redeemed from that curse. He says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. He says, anyone who relies on the law, who, who puts their hope and their trust in what they can do, in the obedience they can give, in the efforts they have in works of the law to be right with God, you just bring a curse upon yourself. In verse 10, which we just read, he quotes Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Make sure you read what that verse actually says. It doesn't say, cursed is everyone who does not abide in most things of the law. Cursed is everyone who does not, well, just do the best you can. Doesn't say try real hard. No, it says, if you do not abide in all things written in the book of the law and do them without exception, perfectly, you are under the curse of God. This is not a vague command saying, well, just do the best you can and that'll be good enough for God. No, if you want to be perfected, if you want to be justified by the law, you have to keep the whole thing and you have to keep it absolutely perfectly. That's the standard. You break the law once, you're under the curse of God. And then in the last two verses, he shows us, well, not the last two verses, but the last two verses that are on the screen right now. He shows us that even in the Old Testament, even under the Mosaic law, salvation was never by keeping laws. It's always been by faith. In verse 11, he says, it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. And to prove this, he quotes Habakkuk 2.4. He says, the righteous, those who are justified, shall live by faith. At the end of verse 11, 
Those who are right before God are those who live by faith in the word and the work of God. And in verse 12, he says, the law is not of faith. Do you see it? Meaning you can't mix the two. They don't go together. They don't mix together when it comes to justification or making yourself right with God. And to prove this in verse 12, he quotes Leviticus 18.5. The one who does them shall live by them. The one who does, meaning the works of the law, the one who practices them, the one who does them in this context perfectly shall live by them. If you want to have life by obedience, by keeping the law, by doing your works, by doing your efforts, your religious rituals, all the things that you do to make yourself right with God or reconcile with God, you have to do it perfectly and you have to do the entire thing. So Paul's point is you must rely, live by faith alone or works alone. You can't mix the two. You must live by faith or you must live by your works. One of the two. If you add any amount of your own works or your own goodness or your own efforts or your own achievements, thinking that this is what's going to push you over the line, making you right with God, you're no longer trusting Christ alone for your righteousness and you're under God's curse. If you rely on any work to get you into right standing with God or to keep you in right standing with God, the only thing you can do is bring the curse upon yourself because the standard is perfection. So Paul finishes this section showing the only way that the curse can be overcome. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we, notice that Paul puts himself in with the Gentiles, we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Listen, God's law is perfect, it's holy, it's good. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. But it requires perfect obedience or perfect punishment if you don't keep it. So God sent his son to become a curse for us. He took the curse of my sin, of your sin, of the law. He took the punishment of the law upon himself. The father poured out all of his wrath, all of his justice upon his own son on the cross in our place, in the sinner's place. And in verse 13, Paul quotes Deuteronomy 21, 23. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Every criminal that was sentenced to death and executed under the Mosaic law was then hanged on a tree to show that they're cursed, that they're rejected by God, that they're cut off from their people. In two sermons in Acts, which we walk through, both Peter and Paul describe Jesus as being hanged on a tree, meaning he died under the curse of God. So by taking the curse upon himself at the cross... He redeemed us from the curse. He purchased us, ransomed us. That's what redeemed means. Bought us back from the curse with his own blood. The curse of sin under the law was transferred to Jesus. And he paid the penalty for it. It was transferred from us. He took it willingly upon himself to deliver us from it. So in chapter 3 of Galatians, in these 14 verses... 
Paul calls the Galatians back to faith in the gospel alone. He's saying, stop chasing after your own works, your own efforts, circumcision, the law of Moses, walking in the traditions of Moses. All these things these guys are telling you, you need to add to your faith to be righteous before God. He began in 1 through 5 focusing on how they received the Spirit. Then he showed them how they are sons of Abraham by faith in Christ. And then he showed them how the curse of the law was removed. And so he sums it all up in verse 14, saying, So that Christ in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit. Look at those last two words. Through faith. In Jesus, we receive the blessing of Abraham. That is the point of the theme of all of Genesis and walking through the Old Testament. This this covenant that runs through it all, we received it in Christ. We're God's covenant people. And in Jesus, through faith, we received the promised spirit that was foretold in, in the prophets of old. God, the holy God, the righteous God comes to dwell in the sinner. Because we've been freed from the curse. We've been declared righteous in His sight by the cross, by the death, by the resurrection. And it comes through faith in Jesus. We were saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Now, honestly, we don't really have a problem with that doctrine. When I... I, I, I preach that to you and I read the text and I tell you what it means to the best of my ability... We can say, amen, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. But so often in this life, we fail to remember that that also means that the life we now live in Christ, in saving, reconciled, covenant relationship with God, it must be lived by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We can't earn our way into it, we all know that. But neither can you keep yourself in it. By your obedience as if your obedience is perfect. And make sure you don't fall off the other side of the bridge either. The evidence that the Spirit of God is dwelling in you is that you have a new heart that is desiring to live obediently to God, to keep God's law, to to learn God's Word, to walk in God's Word, striving to love Christ, striving to be like Christ. But the good works that every Christian has, they are the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not the means by which you gain salvation. Do you understand the difference? They're the evidence that you have been saved. Not the means by which you're saved. So, knowing all that from verses 1 through 14, I want you to go back and read verse 3 again. And I want you to burn this verse into your minds. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That question should be memorized by us all. Because we all have a tendency to fall off one side or the other. When bad things are happening, when life is a struggle, when we fail, we have a tendency to fall off and think, well, God just don't love me anymore. God's just not with me anymore. I got to do something to fix this. I got to do something to reconcile it. And we fall off the other side going, man, I obeyed God good today. He must be a whole lot more prouder than me today than he was yesterday. We need to ask ourselves, 
What do you think you need that you haven't been given in Jesus Christ? Can you answer that for me? If Jesus saved you perfectly from your sin, from all of your sin, which must happen if you, for, before God will come into relationship with you, the Holy Spirit will indwell you, and for you to be in covenant with God, your sin must be wiped away. If Jesus saved you perfectly, what do you think you can contribute now? Is sin any different now than it was when you first got saved? What is it that you think you're missing that Jesus did not provide, that the gospel does not offer you? Now, I'm not a mind reader, but I know that probably what's going through some of your minds right now is, Jason, that's easy for you to say. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm struggling with. You don't know what hardships I have or what sufferings I have or what things I'm going around. And you know what? You're right. I don't know. There are people in this room that are, have suffered and are suffering more than I will ever know, more than I'll ever be able to comprehend. You're right. I don't know what you're going through, but I know what this word says. It says all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. It says, if God didn't spare his own son, how will he not with him give us all things? That's Romans 8.32. If God is for you, who could be against you? God said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. All things work for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Thou art with me. No, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what struggles you face. But listen, you're telling me that you need something more than what these promises provide to you in the gospel. That's what you're saying. Paul's message to the Galatians is simply this. The same way you began this walk with God in the gospel is the same way you live it out now, by grace through faith. And no matter what you go through in this life, it's the same way you're going to finish this race. By grace through faith in Jesus, because there is nothing missing that Jesus did not supply for you. In your home, in your job, in your circumstances, in the struggles of daily life, in the things that are happening. Our God is in control. You are His covenant person. If you are in covenant with Jesus Christ by grace through faith, He loves you. He is for you. All of those things are true even if you can't see it. So don't fall off the ditch thinking, well, God must require extra work from me. If, if you come to a point in your life, many people have come that have been on fire for God, doing works for God, and doing just great things for God, and then something happens. Maybe they get in a car wreck and they're, they're disabled, or something happens with their health and they're unable to continue doing what they've been doing, and they fall off into that ditch thinking, well, I'm nobody for God now. 
He can't be pleased with me. No, you have all things in the gospel. Back when you were doing everything that you possibly could, and now that you can't do anything at all, you are the same in Christ because you have it by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We live the same way by the Spirit that we began by the Spirit. We cannot perfect ourselves by the flesh. So, on my worst day, listen, on my worst day, when I am failing in every possible way, the commands of God, the call of God, the mission of God, the commandments of God, when I have failed completely, if I am in Jesus Christ, if I die in the middle of that day and stand before the judgment bar of God, you know what God will say to me? If I'm in Christ, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because I'm good and faithful? No, because Jesus paid it all. And on my best day, when there is no way I could do any better for God than I did today, Let's just say, it's impossible, but let's just say I didn't sin not one time today and I did what God called me to do. I, I led people to Christ. I obeyed all his commandments. I mean, I just lived it perfectly. On that day, if I died in the middle of all that and stood before the judgment bar of God, you know what he'd say? Well done, my good and faithful servant. You know why? Because Jesus paid it all. It had nothing to do with what I did that day. You'll be rewarded for your works. You'll receive crowns and jewels and all these things. But to get into the door, to be in a right relationship with God, it has nothing to do with what you can or can't do. It has to do with Jesus paid it all and us trusting Him by faith in Christ alone. So let's examine our hearts today as we endeavor to walk in this gospel. If you are a believer, there is evidence in your life. If you hear what I'm saying and you take this text and you run with it going, well, praise God, I can sin all I want to. You're as lost as a golf ball is in tall grass. You need to repent and trust in Jesus. But for the believer that's striving to live for Christ and seeing their failure, seeing their sin, seeing the ugliness of their heart, oh, be encouraged. He's given you everything. Examine your heart today and ask this simple question. What is exactly am I trusting in? When you find yourself longing for more or longing for resolution or feeling rejected by God or what exactly am I trusting in? Is it Jesus alone or is it what I have done or haven't done or should be doing? The only way to be in covenant with a holy God and claim all of the promises of this God is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. He is enough. I don't know what you're going through. I can't know. Even if you told me, I couldn't know how you feel or what you're going through. But I know one thing. Jesus is enough. He is sufficient. All the promises of God are in Him, are yes and amen. Trust in Him today. Believer, walk in faith. Paul, not too many verses ago, said, The life I now live, I live by faith 
in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the faith I live by. It's what I live on. And if you don't know Christ today, you look at your heart and you don't see any evidence of the Holy Spirit's living in you at all. You don't have any love for Christ, any desire to keep his commands, any desire to walk in holiness. Repent of your sin and trust in Jesus and he will save you. He will transform you. He will bring you into covenant with himself. He will make you a new creature and remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. Give him your heart and life today. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. God, the the depths of the gospel we will never reach in this life. The more we hear of your glorious work, what you've done, who you are, the more mind-boggling it is for sinners like us. Thank you for saving us from our sin. Thank you for sending your son. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you just doesn't seem to say enough. You are so good to us. God, I pray right now, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that hasn't trusted in you, I pray that you would call them by your grace, that you would draw their heart to you. You would show them their sin, show them the impossibility of them being right, doing right, modifying behavior to be right with you, and show them the way, the truth, and the life that you have given in your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that they would call out upon you and that they would be saved today. Help us as your people to walk in your gospel. For you have given us everything, and we praise your name for it. In Jesus' name, amen. As always, I'm going to stand down here. If you want to come, I would love to pray with you. Trust in Jesus. Give him your heart and life. Will you stand with me?